The biggest thing you gave me was time. I've always been a proponent of do the job, do it well. When you're a family, everyone in the family has to be treated with respect. I couldn't have done this without you coming here to, to K-State. You've been my confidant and, and in the room with me. I want to know who you really are, right? You can put whatever you want on paper, but that that doesn't really matter. These teachers, they meet the learner wherever he is. They don't care what you know. <laughs> Until they know how much you care. Be aggressive. That's when. Here we go. We'll jump right in. What I like to do is I like for you to take us through your journey from a from a former student athlete or from a student athlete at Xavier University to now being the commissioner of the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference. Sure. You know, I, first of all, I appreciate you having me on um, this afternoon, this evening. And yeah, I've, I've had a little bit of a crazy run, crazy journey. Um, you know, athletics is something that has always been near and dear to my heart. Um, wasn't necessarily something that I grew up with. Uh, my mom was born and raised in Uganda, uh, East Africa. And um, not that I grew up in a, a single parent household. My parents were, were both involved. My parents got divorced early on, but my dad was still a big part of my life. My stepdad was a huge part of my life as well as my stepmother, but my mom didn't grow up with athletics. You know, that wasn't something that was preached, you know, being from Africa. So right. uh, she never pushed me into it. It was just something I kind of fell in love with early on. And, um, you know, I started playing basketball when I was in fifth grade and I loved it. You know, I was the kid who, who was riding my bike to the park every day, or, you know, playing sandlot baseball or whatever the case may be, like wanted to be around athletics. And, um, people, people laugh when I, when you kind of talk about all the things that I've done from an athletic standpoint, you know, play collegiately, play professionally in Europe, you know, coach for 10 years, which I'll get into that stuff. But my mom, who has always been a, a great supporter and probably the hardest worker I've ever been around. She's probably been to 10 games that I've ever been a part of. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't because she didn't love me. It wasn't because of anything other than, you know, she was busy, she was working, she was providing, and that just wasn't her thing. And it, it wasn't a slight, it just happened to be part of the deal. But um, I did play at Xavier University, I actually started off um, as, a, as a late bloomer. And I went to Vanderbilt University as a, at a high school. And, you know, I was late recruited, late signee. Um, went there because academics were important because that was preached within our household. And I also went there because it was the SEC. You know, it was it was big time athletics mixed with high academic standards. And that was good enough for me <laughs> at the time. Um, and so spent two years there, had a great experience, loved Nashville, um, enjoyed playing the SEC. But uh, after two years of, of playing quite a bit, um, decided to, to transition and transfer. And that was at a time when, uh, not like it is now, yeah, where that required sitting out a year. And for me, sitting out a year was, you know, maybe the best thing that ever happened. It allowed me to get my body in order, get healthy, to get stronger, to get in fantastic shape and, and have a, a really nice playing career at Xavier for the next couple of years. Um, and more than anything, um, it also allowed me to uh, complete my MBA. And, you know, that was something that's special, too, that I walked away from, from college with, um, with both an undergrad and a grad degree um, without any debt. And so once I finished playing at Xavier, um, late, in, late in my senior year, 
you know, things were going really well. You know, I had been player of the week in the Atlantic 10 like six times um, during the course of my senior year, leading the team in scoring and rebounding. We were a good team. And in February, in a freak accident in the game, I broke my leg. And at that point, everything kind of stopped. Like, what does this mean? I had already been invited to Chicago pre-draft camp and all that stuff. Not to say I was going to be an NBA player <laughs> per se, but I was going to have a chance, you know, maybe a second round pick, or I was certainly going to be a, a guy in camps and whatnot. And everything stopped when I broke my leg. And then it was kind of like, what do I do next? And um, I rehabbed it. I went through the process. I ended up going overseas and playing in Germany for a year. So I sowed those oats and enjoyed that experience. But after a year, I realized that I was never going to get right back to where I once was. And the doctors also said, you know what, you can keep playing, but when you're 35, you're not going to be in a position to run around with your future kids in the way that you're going to want to be able to do. And I was not making millions of dollars. I was making a nice little living plan in Europe. And so the decision was, OK, let's walk away and try to do something different. And at the time, I was quite honestly a little bit jaded from a, um, an athletic standpoint. Basketball was taken away from me, not because of my ability, but more my availability and health. And so I went and took a job working corporately for the CentOS Corporation, which was a sponsor from, for Xavier. And so I had a little bit of a connection there, which was fantastic. Did that for a year. And then I had an opportunity to, um, to go to get into coaching. Uh, Sean Miller, who I played for at Xavier, who's back as the head coach currently, uh, took the Arizona job. And Chris Mack, to, became the head coach at Xavier, who I, he was an assistant when I played there. And he asked me if I wanted to come back and start my coaching career at Xavier as part of his first staff. And I jumped at the opportunity. I had had enough time to be away from it, and I knew I really missed it. And so I went back to Xavier, started as director of basketball operations, and then that kind of kicked off a 10-year a run of being an assistant coach at, um, at Xavier and Ball State and Winthrop and Furman. So I kind of covered the gamut terms of being from a low major to high major and kind of saw a lot of different uh, aspects of college basketball uh, from the sideline. Um, after doing that for 10 years, uh, I had a very young family. I had two kids that were under two. And my wife and I decided that, you know, I think that it's time for a transition. It's time for something different. And uh, my wife encouraged me to, to take a little bit of a step and a leap on faith and to try to do something that was maybe outside of my wheelhouse. I knew I loved sports. Um, I knew I wanted to stay involved in college athletics, but I also knew I didn't want to be an assistant basketball coach for the next, you know, 25 or 30 years. And so I took a little bit of a flyer, took a pay cut and took a position at the NCAA headquarters um, as an assistant director of, um, of basketball development at the NCAA, which was a fantastic opportunity, not just because of the role, but because I came into the NCAA at a time where, so many things were taking place. This is the beginning of the transfer portal conversations and um, not having to sit out, you know, the, the one-time transfer policy, NIL, all these yeah. things were starting to hit the fan at the same time in terms of the conversations. And I had just spent 10 years being a Division I basketball coach. And knowing the NCAA, there wasn't a ton of people there at that time that had practical real-world experience. And so that allowed me to be a part of conversations that quite honestly were above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> and which was a blessing because it allowed me to get into rooms that I wouldn't have had the ability to be in. 
And, you know, the more you're in those rooms, the more you can kind of speak up, you can show your, you know, your worth and your acumen in the situation. Then people kind of started to take me under their wing and said, hey, you know what, you know, maybe being in a conference office would be a good place for you. And um, I had an opportunity, Michael Resco hired me at the American Athletic Conference um, to run men's and women's basketball um, at a crazy time during COVID and trying to figure out all the, the traps that existed from testing to moving games to all that stuff and um it was like being, it was like dog years because you know the amount of time and connection you had with the athletic directors and all the touch points uh, it felt uh, one year feels like three years or four years and so it was a fantastic experience and um from there i got a, a random phone call from uh daniel parker's search firm and said that um asked if I would be interested in, in being a part of the WAC commissioner search. And at the time, you know, I didn't know anything about necessarily being a commissioner other than I knew who some of them were. But um, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll go through the process thinking at the time, this is an opportunity to get to know a search firm, to, you know, to interview, just to gain experience. And, you know, I was fortunate that I went through the process and they, uh, they the president's like some of the, the creative ideas and whatnot, and maybe the outside of the box thinking that I was trying to bring to the table. And they gave me an opportunity and uh, we're two years into it. And I think we're, we're, we're moving the needle a little bit. So it's been, it's been a really exciting run. Wow. Funny how, like you said, you, you go into it with your idea of how this thing is going to work and it happens a totally different way, you know, and that, that can happen all throughout our lives. It has a tremendous Tremendous story and tr incredible blessing for you. So core values, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn the page. Core values, they're, they're big time important for us at K-State. Our core values of commitment, uh, discipline, toughness, of selflessness. Those are big time important in the things that we do. And sometimes I, I talk to coaches, I talk to friends, I talk to student athletes about the fact that, you know, for us in our program, Man, that's not cliche. I've seen those things come to life. And, and so they, they, like I said earlier, they're very important to us because we've seen them come to, come to fruition in the way we do things every day. So my question to you is, is what are your core values? And you can just give me two. And, and, and how, how, do they, how do they help you develop your team? How do they help you as you operate day-to-day -day, uh, at the at the WAC conference? You know, I, I, two that come to mind for me are hard work and fun. You know, those are, those are two things that really come, come to mind. I say the hard work part, you know, like I said, my mom came to America as a, as a foreign exchange student when she was 17 years old without anything in her pocket. Um, she went to a senior year in high school, went to college in the States, Ended up meeting my dad, who was who was from America, and you know she's gone on to um, to build a successful business in Louisville, Kentucky, where I'm from, Casito Cookies, which she started uh, her own bakery that sells to uh, all kinds of businesses throughout the region and the Midwest. And you know I've just seen every single day when I was you know starting in kindergarten, she was going to work at three o'clock in the morning every single day, along with my stepdad and. So like, I just saw that culture of hard work and discipline um, from a very early age. And, and so like, that's something that's always stuck with me. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to pass that on to my kids, <laughs> quite honestly, but that was one thing that I saw. And the other thing is, 
is, is having fun. You know, I, I work in college athletics. I work in sports and it's supposed to be fun. It's challenging at times. It's hard. And this is certainly a, a time when college athletics is more crazy than it's ever been. But we're not curing cancer here. You know, we're, we're, we're having fun in college athletics and um, we should be helping to put young men and women in position to have success. Um, in life. And so that, that should be fun. And it's one of the things that I try to do from a, from a staff standpoint is I want us to have fun. You know, we're going to work hard and we're going to work long hours, especially on championship sites and going through all that stuff. But like, let's kick back and have fun and realize what we're doing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, those are values. Again, you, you can go through and you can number, you can name as many as you want, but but I think those are, are big time important for me personally, uh, even in my position room. I think it's important that, like you said, to realize that this is a game, no matter what which game it is. You know, when you talk about right. athletics, it's a game and it is, is meant to be fun. And when you have parents or you have fans or you have anyone that takes it, no matter the business side of it, but takes the fun out of it then then that's not a good thing. And so I, I appreciate you keeping it that way. Let's talk about the, the people that you've been around. Um, you know, of course, this is a podcast about leadership, but I'd like to ask you, who are the best leaders that you've been around? And what are some of the things that, that they brought to your life, brought to you as a leader? Sure, you know, two come to mind um, immediately. One would be Pat Kelsey, who is the head coach at the College of Charleston now. I was an assistant coach for him at Winthrop University when he first became a head coach. You know, there was at times where I felt like he was hard to work for to a certain extent because he was demanding. You know, he you know, he wanted you to to bring your best every single day. And I think that that's you know, at the time as a young assistant coach, like at times it was like, whoa, this is a lot. But ultimately, like you had to rise to the occasion. You had to learn, you had to grow, you had to be prepared. And he taught me that, you know, and he was, he is, and he's been extremely successful as, as everybody knows, like he's unapologetically himself. You know, he has the most energy of anybody I've ever been around and that's who he is. And, you know, a couple things that he always would tell me was, was one, um, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, you know, from when, when you're coaching and even when you're leading a, a group of people, like you have to care and know something about them. It can't just be all, you know, just run through a wall for me without caring about who I am as a person or what makes me tick or the things that I have going on in my life. It's not that simple. Um, and then the second thing is to always be yourself because the worst thing that can happen is you end up being a bad version of somebody else. And so you have to be unapologetic in who you are and how you lead and, and how you carry yourself. Um, the second person I would say is Jeremy McCool, who was the director of, um, of basketball development at the NCAA when I worked there. I came, he gave me an opportunity. And what he did is he, he allowed me to, um, to soar, to fly. You know, he, he allowed me to put myself in a position to become a conference commissioner because he, he said, Brian, you do these things. Be a liaison to the men's basketball um, oversight committee, be a liaison to the NABC, be a liaison to Adidas, you know, things like that. So he pushed me and put me in positions to do things that, again, were probably outside of my scope or outside of my, my pay grade at the time. But he saw something in me and I appreciated that and I tried to run with it. 
big time. Um, you know, that 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 uh phrase you used earlier, they don't care what you know until they know how much you care. I think a lot of coaches and leaders for they lose that. They lose sight of that because it's so important to gain the credibility by your knowledge, you know, by what you know, by impressing them. But, you know, honestly, when you talk about leadership, when you talk about getting people to follow you, man, you got they follow you. Yes, you do have to be an expert in your field. Yes, you do have to do that. But you also it is very important that you lead the people. You don't push them. You don't pull them. You lead them. And and I I've had some leaders in my life to to teach me that. So let's talk about when you are ready to 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 bring someone on to your bus, right? You're making a hire. How do you identify that person? As you're looking around, you, you have a, a spot on your team that you have to feel. How do you identify the person that you want to bring onto your team, into your, uh, uh, into your organization? And I think one of the biggest things when it comes to that is fit. Okay. You know, it's how does this person fit into the culture, the dynamic that's already established? Do they, are they a value add? Do they bring a, a, a dynamic that maybe we need? You know, or did we lose somebody that was the an energy person, a culture person, somebody that you know brought more fun, that was talkative? Do we do we are we missing that? Do we need that? Um, or do we need somebody that is more serious? There's somebody that is a nuts and bolts person that is going to make sure that all the the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. So. I think you have to look at the the overall makeup of your entire organization. In my case, I have 15 people that that, that work in our office, so it, it's not a um, a deal where we have hundreds of people that that we're that we're working with. So I can be selective in terms of how does this person fit into the scope? What do they bring? Because when you have that size of a staff, everybody matters. Everybody's touching a lot of different components to the operation. And so you need every you need all oars rowing in the same direction. And so I think that making sure that fit is there is extremely important. Big time. Next question, uh, and I'll jump right to it because because you know that uh, over the last and we kind of alluded to this earlier over the last few years, man, especially in in the world of athletics, but in our society in general, we've dealt with some some adversity. Right, the adversity of of COVID, uh, we've dealt with uh, our, where, where we're trying to figure out from uh, social justice justice initiatives where we want to go, the direction we need to go. Uh, how has how has dealing with with those most recent adversities? But how does dealing with adversity? How has dealing with adversity made you better as a leader? Well, I think you learn to trust your decision making. You know, because you're forced to make decisions at times in short order. And, you know, one of the things that I always say with our staff is that, um, you know, I like groupthink. I like talking through things. I like having a collaborative effort in terms of the way that I lead and we make decisions. You know, we spent three hours today talking about how we want to change the way that we do our awards for each sport and preseason, postseason, you know, during season, end of the year award. It's like we're going through every single sport and we're doing that as a staff. And I want everybody to have a voice in that. And when you don't have a voice, I have a problem with that. <laughs> you know, I want people to speak up, you know, because we need uh, a diversity of thought within within our office. And 
but the thing that I also say is that at the end of the day, a decision has to be made. And oftentimes, you know, I have to make that final decision. And when that final decision is made, that's our decision. That's not just my decision. That's our decision. You know, we kind of we took it all in and a decision had to be made and we had to move forward after that decision is made. But I do reserve the right to get smarter and change that decision at another time if it comes to it. And so I always want to make sure that that everybody knows that just because I don't agree or with with what you're what you're saying, I do value your opinion because it helps to shape the decisions. Um, And in terms of adversity. One of the things about decision making, especially when you're in a leadership role, is oftentimes the decisions that you're making are the hardest decisions, because if they were easier decisions, they have already been made all all along the way. (laughs) When When it hits your desk, it's because there's an issue, there's a problem, and something has to be solved that um, that the people that uh, it hit along the way weren't in position to or weren't comfortable making that decision. So um, I think that that's something that I learned through adversity is that you just have to be confident and comfortable in making decisions. And I think that those people that are willing to make a decision often thrive in adverse situations. Yeah, I think you made two two really good points there. And the first being that that, you know, there is strength in diversity, you know, and uh, in, in diverse thought, there's strength in that. You know, you have a guy who who is from the Midwest and you have a guy who is from the deep South, right? There's diversity in those experiences uh, because guess what? You may have people who you're dealing with who are from those respective locations. And so there's a lot of divert a lot of strength when you have diverse thought in the second the second point that you made and I think leaders for sure understand this is that well I don't know if all leaders do but some leaders they don't make a decision because they are afraid of making a mistake and I I believe that you could make a mistake making a mistake is okay you can't repeat mistakes but making a mistake is okay because you can learn from the mistake and you can improve and you can get better from it. You said it earlier that there comes a point where you as the leader, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going the wrong way. I got to change this. It's okay that we started off going the wrong way, but we can't keep going the wrong way, number one. And we can't have the same decision come up tomorrow and we go the wrong way again. But it's okay sometimes to be wrong. I remember thinking, uh, I'm, I'm a big reader uh, and I read, uh, I've read books about the Great Depression and and what I read and different opinions, people can have different opinions about this, but what they said is, is that during the Depression, Franklin Roosevelt, he said he didn't make all the greatest decisions, but he did something. You know, that was his thing is, man, I'm, I might be wrong, but I'm going to do something. I'm not going to sit here and wait until it passes. I'm not going to wait until things just get better. I'm going to do something. Some of those things that he did, he said, ah, oh, that was probably a mistake, but I did something. Uh, I did not sit, I, I did not sit idle for fear of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I think the greatest leaders understand that sometimes you make a mistake, but you have to act, of course, in in alignment with your what you said you wanted to be, but you have to act and you can't be afraid of you know, being wrong, because we all are going to be wrong at some point or another. 
I got two more questions. And the next question, you talked about your staff earlier, um, but how, how would your staff describe your leadership style, right? And then for you personally, do you think your style has changed at all over the years? You know, I think that, you know, one thing about being a leader is you have to understand like what your core strengths are and like what you're good at. And, you know, sometimes that means bringing in people around you who are good at the things that maybe you're not the best at. You know, for me, I'm, I think that I'm one of my strengths is creativity, thinking, um, coming up with solutions. But I also have to make sure that I have people on my staff that are good at fulfillment, that are good at carrying out ideas and carrying out concepts, because maybe that is not necessarily my biggest strength. Obviously, I can do it and I've done it before, but you have to have a staff that, that complements each other, um, not just from a leadership standpoint, but from person to person. Um, so I think that that's something that's really important. Also, as a leader, you know, people always ask me about like, you know, they said they want to be a commissioner or they want to be an athletic director. And, and I ask them, OK, what is your core competency? What are you good at today that's going to allow you to get to that role? And I think that so often people think about the end result and not how you get there from a building block standpoint. And I think that that's something that's really, really important for people to understand as you want to aspire to get to a certain goal or a certain level or a certain job title, it's you don't just become an athletic director because you became an athletic director. You became an athletic director because you are an excellent fundraiser. You are an excellent um, operations person. You are a great sports um, op information person. There was something that you did at a super high level that gave you the chance to do the next thing. And I think that that's the thing that like, I try to encourage our staff to do is like, what are you great at? Or what do you want to be really good at? Because that's how you get the next opportunity. When you become an athletic director or a commissioner, you become more of a centralist versus being an expert in a certain situation. And so what I like to do is I want to make sure that our staff has autonomy because they should be experts in their role, being a star in the role, you know, to take it back to a coaching, a coaching standpoint. You know, when we're talking about compliance or bylaws or things like that, I expect um, our associate commissioner for compliance and governance to be an expert in that. You know, I expect them to, you know, bring me ideas, bring me solutions, or put me in position to make a decision based on the information. And I think that because that's his core competency. And so I think that from a leadership standpoint, what I try to do is I try to give autonomy to our staff to be creative as possible, to think outside the box in their area. And then when they get to a point of when they need my help or they need a decision to be made, then to come to me with all the information so that I can make an educated decision or provide feedback to help them get over that next hurdle to continue down that path. Because I'm a partner. I'm trying to help them get to whatever goal it is um, from their own career standpoint, but also to get our conference to where we want it to be. And so if there's an impediment in their way, if they're trying to work through a certain scenario, a schedule or a conflict or an issue, it's bring me the information. Let's talk through it. I'll try to I'll try to give you my perspective. And hopefully that jumps you over that hurdle where you can continue to run again. Now, this next question is a is a is a cool one. Right. Uh, some people struggle with it, but mm -hmm. most people jump right in. You go back and you look at the young Brian Thornton. 
what would you tell that dude after all these years of experience? What would you tell him that you know now that he just could not get back in the day? How would you help your younger self? I think relationships matter. You know, that's one of the things, you know, and I, I've, I've benefited from that. But I think that the younger me, uh, probably a little bit shy, um, probably didn't extend myself, didn't go out and meet people, didn't do some of those things. Um, you know, I think I kind of just was of the mindset, well, I'm just going to kind of do my deal, I'm going to do my job, and, you know, everything will work out. And by and large, it has. I'm totally blessed, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I think that being more willing to um, to embrace new relationships, to talk to people, um, and to do that earlier. That's something I've done as I've gotten older, but I would tell myself, get out of your comfort zone and, and be willing to, to, to be a little bit different from that standpoint. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, <laughs> that's great advice to that young dude. <laughs> and that's, that's actually advice that I try to give to my players, to younger coaches, uh, because what you just said is that, you know, the especially for competitive athletes, people with a lot of pride, people who, man, I, I, I got this. I can do this. Uh, and as, that's what I find is that I, I don't need any help from anyone. And and if I just do my job, if I do great work, people will see it. But what I say to them is that, man, that's true. But you you want to, you said earlier, you want to have partners, you want to have allies along the way. And allies, they don't mean uh, people who are older than you. Sometimes that ally is, is your opponent. You know, it's a guy you are competing against. Sometimes it's a teammate. And you won't, it won't all, they won't always be great days. There'll be some days where you'll have a struggle. And so when you do that reach that you just talked about, and you give, you, you give yourself an opportunity when you're struggling, someone that you created that relationship with, they can see it. And without you asking for help, I said, man, I, you know what? You need help. Hey, what, what's going on? You know what I mean? And so that reaching that, that we learned, because I, I would say that I was the same way earlier in my life, is that I had it. I didn't need any help. I'm good. And you'll see, you'll see my work and you'll reward me from that, you know? Um, and so you, you have to have people in your life that, that you can, um, that you can talk to about anything that you can vent to um, people that'll, that'll shoot you straight and somebody yeah. that'll say, Hey, uh, Brian, I think you're missing the boat on this. One. You know, I think that you're off base here or people that will encourage you as well. Like you have to have people that will speak truth to mm -hmm. you and you have to seek that out because without it, um, like you said, when you're a leader, some it's a lonely position at times being in leadership because everybody is looking to you for certain answers. And if you don't have somebody that you can bounce stuff off of or somebody that is is willing to tell you, and sometimes you have to have somebody on your staff that's willing to say, hey, I'm with you on this, but are you sure? Or have we thought about this in a different way? And you have to be big enough and man enough or woman enough to, to take that in digest it and say, am I right here? Or do I need to relook at this in a different way? And so you have to take the ego out of it and, and, and understand that the goal is to get to the best outcome. 
And I think, I think, you know, that is, that is a challenge because the leader, uh, who was I talking to? Um, man, I can't remember who I was talking to on this podcast about the fact that Kevin Anderson, that's who it was. Uh, we were talking about the fact that the leader has to be willing to be vulnerable, has to be willing to say, I don't know, has to be willing to say I was wrong because, and that's, that's a challenge because People look at the leader and the leader is supposed to be fortified. He's supposed to be strong. He's supposed to have all the answers. Otherwise, why are you in this position? Mm -hmm. Nobody's perfect, you know? And so I think, I think there's great strength when a leader can say, nope, I got messed that one up. Let's, I, I got, hey, guys, ladies, I need help. I think there's strength in that. You know, of course, we, we get taught something differently, but, um, there's, there's uh, considerable wisdom and strength when you're able to do that.